I grew up in East Texas on what was an old cotton plantation. Heck, the pine timber behind my house was terraced off down the hill from where the old cotton rows were once planted. Anyhow, I don't have time to go into all of the details, but trust me, there are things, maybe spirits, maybe not, that do things that we cannot explain. I lived in terror in that house for five years. Things got so bad that my mother had her log of events notarized and signed by the realtor and an attorney prior to putting the house on the market. Lights switching on and off, dark shadows crossing the halls, an old black man standing at the foot of the bed with hollow eyes just staring through you. Carpenters that refused to work in the house after hearing mumbling voices, balls of white and blue light bouncing off the walls in rooms where there was none. Absolutely no outside source from plain light, etc. Ah, deep breath. Okay, horrible smells that would move from room to room that smelled like death. It grabbed my dad who refused to believe this mess up until that point. I could go on and on and on. The believers will nod their heads while the naysayers spew their beer laughing. It's all fun and games until something happens to you that you can't explain. Good luck to the naysayers. I am sure you will rush back to this string for support if and when anything ever happens to you. Oh, and yes, the house sold three months after we sold it and has changed hands multiple times since. My mother ran into one of the previous owners and he nearly broke down in tears when she asked him if anything weird ever happened while he lived there. Anyhow, that's a piece of my story. I lived it, and it sucked. I'm Officer Miller, and I've had some extraordinary encounters in New London County while on patrol. It all started one night around midnight. I was sitting in my parked cruiser when, to my astonishment, I spotted a creature just 15 feet away. It was large, covered in short dark hair, and completely devoid of any clothing or jewelry. But what truly caught my attention were its massive gray eyes that emitted an eerie glow, like a flashlight cutting through the darkness. Several months later, I received information about an unrelated incident involving three missing individuals who were hunting in the same area where I had encountered the creature before. Determined to investigate further, I gathered a team and set up traps hoping to catch a glimpse or any evidence of its presence. Despite our efforts, the heavy rainfall hindered our search, and we came up empty-handed. Five weeks passed, and I had long forgotten about the incident when I received a phone call at home. It was the deputy sheriff in charge of the missing person's case, asking if I had witnessed anything unusual. Due to the persistent rain, I knew the creature wouldn't have left any traceable evidence. Nevertheless, I recounted what I had seen five weeks earlier, a towering figure measuring around seven to eight feet in height, with short dark hair and a face that was nothing short of grotesque. And those eyes, still vivid in my memory, glowed with a strange gray hue. During the summer of 1973, I heard another chilling account from Detective Bradson. He was called to investigate reports of an unknown animal slaughtering livestock. Initially presumed to be a wolf or coyote, 
it quickly became apparent that something far more mysterious was at play. As Bradson walked through the woods, he stumbled upon large tracks that led him into a dense swamp area, enveloped by thick vegetation. It was in that moment that an unsettling feeling washed over him an eerie sensation of being watched. And in the distance, he caught sight of a pair of bright green eyes. Reacting instinctively, Bradson drew his gun and fired a warning shot into the air. But as quickly as the eyes appeared, they vanished, leaving him with a sense of impending danger. As darkness descended upon the surroundings, Bradson decided it was best to retreat. He couldn't shake the feeling that whatever lurked in those woods was observing his every move. The description he gave of the creature mirrored the one I had encountered in my own report, though his encounter occurred four years prior to mine. These unsettling events continue to baffle us, leaving us with more questions than answers. What is this enigmatic being that roams our county? Is it merely a figment of our imagination or something far more tangible? As an officer dedicated to serving and protecting, it is my duty to uncover the truth behind these strange encounters, no matter how unnerving they may be. In early February, an intriguing tip came my way, hinting at a series of astonishing encounters with none other than Bigfoot in Elk County. Eager to delve deeper into this mysterious phenomenon, I seized the opportunity to interview two witnesses who had experienced firsthand the presence of the elusive creature. What I uncovered during those conversations left me both astounded and captivated. One resident, who wished to remain anonymous, shared a remarkable account with me. He revealed that he had been actively placing scrap buckets filled with an assortment of food apples, berries, and corn near the edges of the woods, hoping to provide a feast for the local wildlife. Little did he know that his generous act would soon lead to an encounter he would never forget. On the fateful evening of his encounter, the resident found himself in his cozy home, enveloped by the tranquility of the surrounding forest. Suddenly, a distant sound of heavy, thunderous footfalls pierced the stillness, causing his curiosity to awaken. Recognizing that the rhythm and weight of those steps did not match the gait of an elk or deer, a sense of intrigue mingled with a touch of apprehension settled within him. A few minutes later, his outside security system alerted him to movement near the vicinity of his property. With a mix of anticipation and trepidation, he peered out of a nearby window, straining his eyes to discern the source of the commotion. What he witnessed next defied all logic and reason. Standing before him was a colossal figure, towering between eight to nine feet in height. Its entire form was enveloped in a thick cloak of black and gray hair, rendering its true features partially concealed. The creature's imposing stature was such that the window frame itself obscured its head from view. The witness's heart raced, and a sense of awe washed over him, realizing he was in the presence of something truly extraordinary. The creature possessed an immense wingspan, its shoulders broad and robust. Its long arms swung rhythmically with each calculated stride, a testament to its untamed power. With measured grace, 
It moved away from the property, disappearing into the depths of the surrounding woods. The witness stood transfixed, the weight of the encounter settling upon him, forever etching this remarkable sight into the depths of his memory. I'm a born and raised Long Islander. So are my parents. They met out east, which in Islander talk means the east end of the island. To any NYC rich kids, that means the Hamptons. But for the rest of us who are coincidentally not millionaires, it means the North Fork. Not to get too geographically confusing, but Long Island is an accurately named Long Island that forks off about a three quarters of the way down the 90 miles it stretches. It kind of looks like a fish with its mouth open, with the North Fork being where the eyes are and the Hamptons are the jaw. Shelter Island is somewhere in the middle, like a smaller fish about to be eaten. My mom's family had a summer house on the North Fork. My dad had a house on Shelter Island. My parents met working at a summer job, and the rest is clearly history. But super long explanation short, I grew up getting to pretend to be Baoji because I had not one, but two summer houses. I know, right? Shelter Island is my favorite place. In a lot of ways, just the island itself feels magical. The only access is by ferry, and while traveling there you feel like you are being transported into a different world. But the picture of Shelter Island in the summer is very other than the winter. In the summer, the population rises to around 20,000 people. But in the winter? Not more than 2,000. So, I was around 13 or 14. I had invited my best friend to come out with my family that weekend. I was so excited, as it was one of the first times she was able to. I remember our bathroom was being renovated, and so the only other bathroom we could use was in the dank, dark basement and the only connection to the house was by going outside and down the stairs, and then down another set of stairs into the basement. So it had to have been around 10 o'clock, and we went together to the bathroom to brush our teeth. The moon was almost full, so bright it provided some lights on an island that street lamps were few and far between. If it wasn't for the light of the moon, we probably would have passed the creature altogether without realizing it because out there you can hardly see two feet in front of you when it's dark. As we were coming back up the stairs, laughing about something menial, was when we saw it. It was about ten feet away, with its back to us, lurking near my shed. We both froze and did that thing where you take a quick breath and hold it involuntarily. That made the creature notice us. Its head whipped around and his eyes were glowing, a kind of blood red. It didn't look angry, but rather like a feral dog, not knowing how to react to these two teen girls observing it. Almost as if not to scare us, it slowly rose up to full size, which I would guess was around seven feet. The whole time, it never broke eye contact. I felt I could fall into the pits of blood that its eyes were. It was covered in long shaggy black hair and had thick human-like legs. After standing there, frozen in horror, for at least a full minute, all the while still in this staring contest, we both regained control of our feet and ran up the stairs screaming for my parents. We saw a werewolf, we saw a werewolf. 
My dad went out first and we followed. My dad quickly dismissed it and went back inside, a bit disgruntled. I could have sworn I saw a bush where it was near move. Over the years, I've had many theories. One of which is that the native people who lived on the island before the white man are responsible, as shapeshifting legends are prevalent in indigenous people's cultures. Maybe it's the descendants of the people who stole this land, cursed to turn under the full moon, choosing isolation to protect their secret. For nine months out of the twelve, anyway. I remember the day as clear as a bell. My girlfriend and I, hungry for adventure, decided to take on the Appalachian Trail. We weren't through hikers by any means, just a pair of carefree spirits looking to experience the rustic charm of the wild over a three-month period. We were far from civilization, hadn't seen a soul in what seemed like forever. The isolation was just as we desired it, an escape from the urban frenzy. As I led the way, my eyes caught sight of something peculiar. It was a large brass eagle, strangely abandoned on a tree stump. We were miles into the wilderness, the nearest town a distant memory. The weight of the eagle spoke of its authenticity. It was a random token of human civilization in the midst of untouched nature. It seemed to be the first in a series of unusual items we encountered that day each one more inexplicable than the last, discarded as if part of a breadcrumb trail. That evening, we arrived at a shelter. Our relief at finding a place to rest was quickly overshadowed by the unsettling presence of the shelter's lone inhabitant. He was an old man, his disheveled appearance and his walking staff topped with a baby doll's head gave off an immediate eerie aura. With only two levels in the shelter, we opted for the top leaving the ground floor to our disconcerting company. The night was long. Any attempts at sleep were interrupted by the old man's rambling tales from his past. He spoke of his days as a cab driver in New Orleans, his voice echoing through the wooden shelter. His stories took an uncomfortable turn when he reminisced about passengers engaging in intimate acts in the back of his cab and how he would watch them in the rearview mirror. It was a disturbing disclosure that hung in the air like a bad stench. At dawn, we couldn't wait to distance ourselves from the shelter and its eerie resident. Before leaving, we left him some power bars his haggard appearance suggested he needed them more than us. He probably had schizophrenia or some other mental illness, I thought, as we quickly retreated down the trail. Our encounter with him was a chilling reminder that the wilderness wasn't just filled with physical challenges, but with mental ones too. It was a usual day in Missoula, Montana. The sort of day that begged you to lace up your hiking boots and lose yourself in the majesty of the surrounding mountains. I lived in a house tucked away at the foot of these ranges and found solace in their imposing shadow. After perhaps 45 minutes of arduous uphill hiking, without a path to guide me, I stumbled upon something that broke the rhythm of nature's harmony. It was a cage, but not one designed for trapping or hunting. No, this one was large enough to contain five to ten average-sized people standing erect. 
The structure was constructed with round steel bars defining its edges. The walls and ceiling were crafted from robust ropes instead of conventional chain links. It was cleverly concealed, resting just on the far side of the ridgeline, invisible to anyone who wasn't directly upon it. The isolation of the cage was both puzzling and unnerving. Looking around, I noticed the ground was undisturbed, no footprints, no tire tracks, no signs of recent activity. The cage seemed oddly pristine, the ropes intact and undamaged. It was as if this cage had appeared out of thin air, serving an unfathomable purpose in the heart of this vast wilderness. A chill of apprehension ran down my spine as I studied the eerie structure. I felt a primal instinct kick in, urging me to leave the area and distance myself from this unsettling discovery. I had stumbled upon a mystery that, perhaps, was best left unsolved. Regretfully, I didn't have a camera with me that day. This was two years ago, and I was only out for a day hike. Over time, the memory of that cage has only become more enigmatic. A strange enigma amidst the natural beauty of the Missoula Mountains. A story that I now share with a sense of bewildered unease. It was an otherwise typical day on the trail. I was hiking with a few friends, enjoying the fresh air, the bird songs, and the rustle of leaves beneath our boots. We were making our way through a particularly scenic part of the trail when we encountered an elderly woman. She was in her seventies, leaning on a walking stick, her face weathered but shining with a warm smile. Oh, well, hello again, she greeted us, her voice a cheerful chirp. We exchanged confused glances among ourselves. None of us recognized her. We'd been hiking for hours and hadn't come across any other hikers. Perhaps she was a bit senile, we reasoned, mistaking us for other hikers she had met earlier. We returned her greeting and continued on our way, the encounter quickly fading from our thoughts as we immersed ourselves back in our journey. About half an hour later, we were winding our way through a dense grove of pine trees when we spotted the same elderly woman coming towards us on the trail. She was still moving in the opposite direction, her walking stick tapping rhythmically against the rocky path. This time, she simply said, Hi, as she passed us, that same warm smile on her face. We stopped in our tracks, exchanging bewildered looks. It was physically impossible for her to have gotten ahead of us on the trail. She had been moving in the opposite direction both times we encountered her and there were no shortcuts or intersecting paths she could have taken. Was it possible that we had experienced a temporal anomaly of some sort? A wormhole or a rip in the fabric of time, perhaps? The explanation seemed ludicrous, yet the reality of our encounter was undeniable. That night, as we sat around our campfire, we discussed the strange incident. We came up with all sorts of theories, from the plausible to the downright absurd, Yet, we couldn't shake off the feeling that we had experienced something extraordinary, something inexplicable. The next morning, we packed up and continued our hike, half expecting to encounter the elderly woman again, but we never saw her for the rest of our journey. The memory of that day, however, has remained etched in our minds, a mysterious encounter on a lonely trail 
that turned an ordinary hike into an unforgettable adventure. For years now I have lived in a duplex located in a rural country town surrounded by thick, lush forests. It seems rather idyllic from an outside point of view, however. Having lived here for so long, I cannot help but feel as though there is something dark creeping, stalking, and taunting our land. For example, I was in the woods one time with a friend of mine. Exploring our vast property, the two of us wandered to the property line, a wiry cow fence abutting a large field, when suddenly a small rock came whizzing by my head, barely missing me by an inch, and struck the aforementioned wire fence with such force that it caused a terrible, ear-piercing bang. It had come from directly behind me, which was all my property, so unless someone was trespassing, it couldn't have been anyone aside from family or my friend. But when I looked towards her, she stood still next to me, mouth ajar, just as confused as myself. Obviously, I asked if she had done it, though I had my doubts that she had because of her position, and she denied, saying she had witnessed the rock come from nowhere as well. We looked, and there was nobody not to mention, no footsteps crunching through the underbrush, which we certainly would have been able to hear if someone tried to make a swift escape. Spooky right. Well, something even more terrifying happened last night, and I require advice. My dog, Bandit, a young German Shepherd Blue Healer mix, has a tendency to get rather skittish at night, especially with the windows and doors being open as of late to let in the cool evening air. Of course, living in the middle of nowhere surrounded by forest, we all assume that it's an animal of some kind. However, this could simply be me being paranoid and not knowing what I'm talking about. Whenever we look to see what he is sensing, there I'd absolutely nothing. No turkeys, no bears, no coyotes, nothing. We have never heard anything walking around in the woods which you can hear everything out here, including the cows breaking twigs in the field next to us, and have even gone outside to check, but to no avail. So the other night, my parents were in bed and my sister, and I had recently come back in from a bonfire. My sister explained to me that she had a bad feeling out there due to the distant and sudden howling dogs from the property behind us, hence why she ushered us back inside. But I myself hadn't gotten the vibe, so I wasn't terribly spooked. Bandit began pacing around the house soon after we went inside, going up to a few windows and doors that overlooked our backyard so he could growl at something. Naturally, we both were curious, especially with my sister's bad feeling, so we flipped on the back light and stepped out onto the back porch, scanning our field. From what we could see, there was nothing, but Bandit was staring towards where we were looking, his eyes and head following something across our yard like. If he was smelling a distant animal, there's no reason why he would be tracking something right. He began pacing, still growling menacingly, before I noticed that our fire pit was still alive with some embers, giving me a new anxiety to worry about causing a forest fire. Despite the eeriness, my sister agreed to join me outside to douse it, and naturally Bandit came along. We opened the back door and stepped out onto the second porch area, 
but Bandit froze at the top of the steps, staring out into the darkness. This behavior is super unusual for him since he absolutely loves going outside no matter the occasion, but for whatever reason he was scared into stillness. I myself was freaked out and said, screw the fire, let's go. But my sister had other plans. She lightly pushed his butt forward, gently coaxing him to continue on, and eventually he did, but not without making sure the both of us were right behind him. We were both shouting dumb things like, this is our land be gone, and what not to keep ourselves cool and collected, which I think instigated whatever it was. Before we could take more than a few steps, Bandit began tweaking, suddenly jumping into the air and spinning around towards the darkness beneath our porch before scurrying away to hide beneath our glass table. Truly, I was expecting a bear or coyote to come charging, but even as I gathered all of my courage to look, there was absolutely nothing. My sister went ahead without me because I was frozen in fear, but even as I stood, I scoured our land with a sense of determination, and there was still nothing but us and the forest. In writing, honestly, it doesn't sound terrifying, but just imagine being outside in the dark. Then suddenly your otherwise brave and loyal dog leaps into the air and runs to hide because of something that you cannot see. Of course, once the fire was out, all three of us bolted inside, and as we did so, there were no pursuing footsteps, no howling, no growls, nothing. It truly was as if whatever it was tried to get to us through our beloved dog, and that was its only intention. Even as we entered our home, Bandit was freaked out, continuously growling, barking, and pacing our first floor. At one point, even as we were sitting on the couch later in the night, he began to growl at something outside of our open window, as if whatever it was circled the house. Now, feel free to call me a paranoid idiot if this is normal dog behavior, but I truly don't feel like it is, especially since I have dozens of other unexplained occurrences at this house. Animals don't just react like that for no reason, but perhaps a sound unheard by our human ears caused him to jump and hide. I don't know. I go shooting every year with two friends of mine in a very secluded area near a local national forest. It's far enough in that it requires an all-wheel drive vehicle in order to get to the cabin. We don't sleep in the cabin though, we sleep outside in tents since it's a bit nicer outside and because my friend got bitten by a brown recluse inside of the cabin last year while trying to sleep. There are no other houses or people around for miles. We went to the cabin last year and spent our last full day in a large clearing we had found about 10 minutes from our site, shooting all different types of guns. We headed back towards the cabin just as dusk was setting in. As we're pulling in next to the cabin where we always park, my buddy abruptly stops the truck and stares to the line of trees just a foot from the driveway. Him, you have got to be kidding me. Me, what, him, in the past two days, have either of you noticed that hanging there? I looked over to the line of trees, and the old skull of small medium-sized animal had been placed hanging off of the nub of a branch pointing directly towards our campsite. 
None of us had seen it before, and it was right where the truck had been parked before we left earlier in the day. It would have been extremely difficult to miss as my door would have nearly hit it as I got into the truck. We talked for a few minutes and decided that it probably hadn't been there before we left, but that there was nothing we could really do about it unless we just packed up and went home. We ended up staying the night in our tents, but I slept with one eye open and multiple loaded guns next to me thinking about how our campsite had been marked. Not too long ago, while hunting near Saddle Mountain close to Beatty, my hunting party had heard and smelled something eerie. Loud screams, not dissimilar to those of a large bear, echoed through the quiet woods. The eerie part was that there were no big bears in these parts. Those gut-wrenching screams were still etched in my memory, playing out like a nightmare I couldn't shake off. Then came the silence. The unsettling silence continued, the unusual smell growing stronger. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move. It was a fleeting shadow at first, but as I focused my gaze, it became clear that it was a large, upright figure standing on the edge of the woods. It was massive, towering over the tallest trees, silhouetted against the faintly glowing evening sky. I squinted, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. The figure had a distinct, humanoid shape, but was covered head to toe in thick, dark fur. It stood there for a moment, its eyes glowing in the dim light, seemingly observing us. Bigfoot. It had to be. I kept my eyes on the creature until we safely backtracked. Although the encounter was brief and somewhat frightening, it was also utterly fascinating. My hunting troop told me that we needed to shoot it, but I was against such an idea. I think they're more human-like than we think. I was on a hunting trip with my father when I was about 14 years old in Georgia. I was in my own spot and my father was in his own about a mile off. It was black powder season and I hear the boom of a black powder rifle go off in the direction of my father's spot. I start heading that way to help him field strip the deer. About a half a mile away, I then hear my father screaming, help, help. I immediately book it as fast as I can through the swamp and briars quite slowly because of how thick it was while my father yells the entire time. I just knew that he had either fallen out of his stand or his old black powder rifle had exploded and injured him. And I was thinking of what I would do when I got there. Neither of us had cell phones, and we were a couple miles away from any phone. The yelling goes from help to, it's okay Bubba, I'm okay. Bubba is my nickname, which is also now my son's who thinks it's his actual name. In the span of about five minutes. A couple minutes later I find my father, lying almost fully submerged in a creek with a massive ten-point buck laying on him. My father believed to have shot this deer, climbed down from his stand, got to the creek when this deer came out of some brush and gored him in the arms. He fell into the creek with the deer's antlers stuck in his arm and was able to drown the deer on behalf of it being stuck. It turned out the shot had only hit the deer in the leg and the deer charged him when he came down to look for it. 
Most people never believe me when I tell this story, and I probably wouldn't either had I not been there. I have the head of that mean some bitch hanging in my office. It was a beautiful summer day, and my family and I decided to have a picnic at a scenic spot known as Deadman's Pass, located off the old highway near 84. Little did we know that this innocent outing would soon turn into a spine-chilling encounter that would test the limits of our understanding. As we settled down and began enjoying our meal, one of the kids noticed a figure across the ravine in a small meadow near the forest line. At first, we thought it was a black wolf, peacefully observing its surroundings. Intrigued, we focused our attention on this enigmatic creature, curious to see its behavior. For several minutes, we watched in fascination as the figure remained motionless, swaying back and forth. Its dark silhouette against the backdrop of the meadow made it difficult to discern its true nature. But then, something extraordinary happened that shattered our assumptions. The figure stood up, towering over the landscape, and that's when we realized it was no ordinary animal. It was massive, easily measuring at least 11 feet or even taller, and it moved in a peculiar manner, somewhat stooped over. Its sheer size and posture defied any logical explanation. In awe and disbelief, we witnessed the creature take a few giant strides, disappearing into the dense woods just to the right of its position. It covered a considerable distance in just a few steps, something that no bear could ever accomplish. It was a sight that left us breathless and filled with a mixture of wonder and unease. Being born in Washington, I had heard tales of a mysterious creature known as the Dogman. I had even seen the Patterson-Gimlin film, capturing a similar being. What I witnessed that day in Deadman's Pass bore a striking resemblance to those accounts and the iconic footage. The encounter played over and over in my mind as we packed up our belongings, an air of excitement and trepidation lingering around us. It was a rare glimpse into the hidden realms of the unknown, leaving us with more questions than answers. Later, I couldn't resist sharing our experience with a park ranger who was stationed nearby. Their face grew serious as I described what we had seen. They listened intently, acknowledging that our encounter aligned with other reports they had received over the years. I was canoe camping in Algonquin Park with my teenage nephew. Sunny afternoon on Sylvia Lake. No other campsites and a dead end as far as tripping routes go. We decided to take a leisurely paddle. He spots a red-tailed hawk perched in a black spruce near the shore, so he does the teenage thing and yells, hey, at it. One steamboat, two steamboat, and we hear, hey, weird. No formations that I can see that would produce an echo. I said, do it again. Hey, hey, same result. The canoe is still moving, and he tries a third time. No echo. Then, about four seconds later, hey, I, I. He looks back at me as if I am to explain what's happening, but I'm at a loss. There's nothing in the direction from where the echoes are coming. I'm weirded out thinking that there's some loony out there that's been stalking us.